Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. So last week, we looked at toddlers, and I gave you three words with, I'm sorry, infants. I gave you three words with infants and little babies. The first word was cherish, and uh, that the fact that children are a gift from God. And the world, our, our philosophy in, in the world is almost children are a burden, and they're, they're this thing we, that we wish we didn't have. And God says, if God, and by the way, God doesn't choose to bless every home with kids, and that doesn't make that life or that home any less valuable or more important to God. God has a different path for every life, for every family. God, God has, and you can read all, all through there, one of the most mightily used men in all of Scripture, the Apostle Paul, was never married. And, and he, he said, I would encourage you to remain as I am. Don't get married because you can do more for the Lord. Sometimes, whatever, wherever you find yourself, you get the idea well, if I had that, that's what would make me happy. God has a different plan for everybody. And, uh, and, and, and so sometimes God blesses with, the children, with children. Some theologians would argue that point that Paul was married, actually. They, they would say that Paul did get married. And they would use the verse because Paul said, I had a thorn in the flesh. And, uh, and so they would say that, uh, that I've just gotten in more trouble with my wife. Every Wednesday night, I'm getting in trouble with my wife. But he asked the Lord three times to remove it. And he said, my grace is sufficient. So wives, God's grace is sufficient for whatever husband's sitting next to you right now and vice versa. But we looked at cherish. I'll keep moving. We looked at structure and then relax. If you're like me, especially with that first kid, it's like, I got to do it all perfectly. Relax and let God guide and, 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 and give you grace through that. Then we looked at toddlers. Kind of the key word for toddlers was obedience. The one command God gives to, to kids is children, obey your parents in the Lord. And, and we expounded on that. I gave you the word consistency and then train. So now we get little Johnny or Susie through those toddler years. And we've taught them how to eat. And they're potty trained most of the time. And uh, they can maybe ride a bike. And they know their alphabet, some of their numbers. It's time for the first day of kindergarten. That's always a fun day at school. The, you can tell who have the first-year kindergartners, and they've got the paparazzi out there taking five million photos. You can tell, like, if you're our family, when you have the fourth or fifth child, you have no photos of anything in their life. It doesn't matter anymore. You, you have all the photos of the early one, but, but you've finally got them to school. So what is... And hopefully, from what we talked about there, you've established a culture of obedience already. You've begun to win their heart. We talked about that heart-level relationship last week. There's a wonderful, loving, close relationship. What now? What's the focus? What should be happening in these important years from ages 5 to 12? Obviously, I'm not going to cover everything that should be happening in 30 minutes. But I'm going to give you a few thoughts tonight. In Galatians chapter 4, look at verse number 1. Paul speaking to the church at Galatia. He's really denouncing legalism, and he uses the picture of spiritually immature believers who are still living like children. And he says in chapter 4, verse number 1, Now I say that the heir, that is the child, the one who is an heir to the throne, the, the, in, in, the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all. And there's, this is a beautiful doctrinal passage, but we're not going to really be talking about the doctrinal. I'm just going to use the picture here for a minute. But just to give us that verse, he says it, it, there's a child that's heir to everything in the household, 
as long as he's a child, he has, he, it's, in his, it's in his rights, but he's not accessing any of it. He's not enjoying any of what God, and he uses that as when, as long as you're an immature believer and you're living in legalism and this, this legalistic structure as a child that hasn't grown up, God has so much more for you that you're not enjoying. Notice what he says in verse 2. But that child is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Then he goes on, he applies it spiritually. Even so, when we were children, we're in bondage. And it's, it's a doctrinal passage talking about as believers, don't stay spiritually immature, grow up in the grace that God has for you. But the picture is, that he gives here is, it's a natural thing. It's obvious kids should be under tutors and governors, teachers, rulers, authorities, people that are telling them what to do. By the way, even that is somewhat countercultural in our often ch child-centric society. We have child-centric homes. The home revolves around the child. I, gave, I told you a book that I read um, that I, I recommended. I gave you three last week, but one of them was It Takes a Parent. Not a Christian book, but a book that helped me when our kids were young. The idea, God has called you to be a parent. Kids should not run the home. You're, you're in charge to be an authority. And we see that here. He says a child needs tutors and governors, needs people to tell them what to do. Don't let them. A child, the Bible says, left to himself bringeth his mother and father to shame. A child with no governors, a child with no structure, a child with no rules, a child with nobody to guide them and to correct them is going to end up bringing shame to their family to themselves, to the name of Christ. That's why as parents, we are called uh, to, to make sure we know what's happening. Know who their friends are, who they're spending time with. And I'm going to get more into this next week when we talk about teenagers. But, but it's, it's, it, if they have a device, you ought to be checking that device. My daughter didn't get a smartphone until I think age 17, and my wife read her texts all the time. We, we still check up on things. My, my wife goes into the kids' rooms. They know that they can't lock a cabinet or a, and hide something. She'll go into their rooms. Now, she doesn't do it, but recently we found something out that we had to deal with with one of our kids just for my wife helping to clean and organize some drawers in one of the kids' rooms. It's your job to keep those kids accountable, to know what's going on in their life, to know their search histories, to know what they're doing, who they're talking to, who they're texting, what apps they're downloading and hiding from you. And, 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 and again, that's, this is not necessarily elementary school, although cell phones are getting lower and lower. But, but, but the idea of be the parent. And that's what he says here. It's it was just a known thing that kids were under authority until a certain time when the father said it. A child needs someone to teach them, to guide them. They are supposed to have teachers and authorities. What does the Bible say? Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he'll not depart from it. You know, we think of that as maybe kind of a, a promise and a, and, a, and a principle for children. That's a command to parents. You do not outsource the training of your children. Any good training that's happening in youth group right now or in, in the master clubs in the boardwalk or if you have your kids in a Christian school or, or whatever, what, in church, in Sunday school, in the kids program on Sundays, anything that's happening there should be a supplement to what is happening in your home. 
We, are not, we should not, the, the majority of their spiritual training should not be what's happening here two, three, four hours a week. It should be happening. The Bible says in Deuteronomy, how often should you train them? He said, you should talk of those things, the principles of scripture, when you wake up, when you lie down, when you sit down in your house, and when you walk by the way. Deuteronomy, I don't remember if that's Deuteronomy 6. I can't remember right now. But you can, you can find it. You know when you're supposed to be training your child as long as they're in your home? Once they wake up, till they go to bed, while they're sitting around your house and while they're walking outside. You know when that is? That covers it all. That's our job. If God has blessed you with children to be doing those things, thousands of hours of training, instruction, correction, encouragement. By the way, may I say this? Thousands of words of praise while they are in your home. Make a big deal of, doing some, of, of catching them doing something right. If you work with children in any capacity, at any age, you should, and this is something I have to work on because I'm really good at finding what they're doing wrong. That's my default. I'm good at seeing what's wrong with something. I walk into a room and see something that's not straight. I'm OCD. I can find what's wrong rather than finding what's right. But do you know the power of finding and rewarding and praising? Does that mean there shouldn't be correction? Absolutely not. But, but the praise and the encouragement and finding what's right should be far more than, than the finding what's wrong and the constantly on them. And, and the, again, doesn't mean I, I correct my children every week of their lives and, and have. That doesn't mean there's no negative reinforcement, but I believe the culture, the majority should not be that. It shouldn't be a negative relationship where they're constantly wondering, what am I going to get in trouble for this time? What are they on my case for this time? Finding the things they're doing well and encouraging them. Today, um, uh, uh, I saw you, you posted it, Sarah, on your Facebook. Evan, who, whose dad just passed away, several of our high school students on their own came to Mr. Cyprian on Monday and said, we want to buy some stuff for Evan and we want to take it over to him. And, and uh, my son's in the same grade, so he was telling me that some of the girls were organizing some stuff and everybody's bringing some different stuff and they're all giving money. Evan likes red vans, so they bought him a pair of red van shoes and his favorite candies and picked up lunch for him. And they surprised him at his house today. And I saw pictures, they, they dropped this stuff off. I've already put in my calendar, I preach in chapel. There is no chapel next week because of Veterans Day. It's no school. Two weeks from today when I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to chapel and I'm gonna praise those kids. Well, I have to remember to do that. Why? Those kids did, now it's easy. We've dealt with negatives in the secondary with students this week. We've corrected things. I've corrected things literally today. Had students in my office today. We have to deal with negatives, but it's not the only thing we should be dealing with. Find what they're doing well and praise those kids. You had a heart for someone else. You had a heart of compassion, a heart of generosity. Find what they're doing well and praise them. Why? Because what you reward gets repeated. What you reward gets repeated. Guess what? It's easy to always focus on the squeaky wheel, isn't it? And you know what? If you, if you teach a group of kids, if they figure out that the only time they get any kind of attention is when it's, even if it's negative attention, it's when they do wrong, it's only the squeaky wheel that gets the grease, guess what? They'll become a squeaky wheel so they can get some attention, even if it's negative. What you reward gets repeated. In basketball, all sometimes I coach our high school basketball team. And I'll tell the guys, every time a shot, <coughs> shot goes up, I want to hear you yell, shot, box out, find a body, and box them out. And they never do it unless I threaten like the worst possible sprints and conditioning in the world. And all right, we're going to do a choo-choo train. If you guys don't box out, that's, that's like 50 different sprints over the course of like four minutes. It's a brutal conditioning drill. All right, you guys want to do a choo-choo train? No, no, sir. No, coach, no. Better box out. If, if I don't do that, they don't box out. But every now and again, 
I see Jeremiah, one of my players back there running the sound. Every now and again, Jeremiah, once every three weeks, he'll remember, I need to box out. No, he's actually one of our better box rebounders and guys that boxes out. But sometimes, and I don't do this enough, I'm really good at finding the kids that aren't boxing out and punishing them with sprints. But every now and again, I'll remember and I'll say, we'll be doing something, a guy boxes out great, gets the ball, chin, check, outlet. He does everything I've taught him with the fundamentals. And I'll blow my whistle. I'll say, stop, everybody freeze. Did you see what just happened? And they're scared to death. Oh, junk, who didn't box out? What am I gonna have to do? What sprints? No, did you see? Did you guys, are you guys kidding me? That was the most amazing box out I've ever seen. And all of a sudden I turn it positive because they're used to coach being a little hard. That's my default, I've already told you that. And, and I turn it to positive and I make, take 30 seconds to make a huge deal out of a guy making an incredible hustle play. Guess what happens when we start the scrimmage back up? Every one of them is making hustle plays. Every one of them is finding a body, shot, box out. They're all doing that. Why? What gets reward, what you reward gets repeated. What gets rewarded gets repeated. Look for the good and praise it. I used this illustration with our staff uh, a couple of weeks ago. How many of you have ever been to SeaWorld? You've ever been to SeaWorld? Anybody here? Most of us down in San Diego. I think we have a picture of my favorite there. How many of you have been to the dolphin show? The dolphin show where they, they get the dolphins doing all their, their, they jump a thousand feet in the air. That's awesome, right? But to me, my favorite show, and if you've seen Blackfish, I've seen the documentary. I still like Shamu, all right? My favorite show is the Shamu killer whale show. It's unbelievable. It's mind-blowing to me. I always, every time, and now they've changed it because of animal rights and all that stuff. They don't, it's like, it's not as fun of a show anymore. There's no danger. There's no one possibly getting eaten. The, the, the trainers aren't allowed to go in there. And they've taken away so much of the thrill and the fun. But, but, uh, but it's amazing to me because I, every time I go, I look at this huge animal. The males can get up to 12,000 pounds. This eight, 10,000 pound animal. And the first thing I think is, it is so crazy that they were able to catch that thing and transport it and put it in this tank in San Diego. Like, who had the idea and figured out how I'm going to catch it? Then it always blows my mind, Renee. I, I can never figure it out. When I see them, like here, they blow a whistle, do a hand signal, and this whale comes swimming up out of the water, opens its mouth, gets a fish, or waves or splashes or jumps in the air and does a flip, touches the ball. And I always think... Where in the world do you start with a wild killer whale to teach them you want them to jump and do a flip? Where does that start? I, I still, it blows my mind. Where does it start? I can't even get my kid to like wipe his mouth after he eats and he understands the same language I speak. How do they make that? Where do you start? Where do you start? Hey, I want you to wave. Hey, hey, Shamu, I want you to wave. What does that mean? Blow a whistle. What's that sound? What, what are you talking? Why are you blowing whistles by my thing? But they get these animals to do, and they, back when they could get in the water with them, they, they swim them up and they bring them up with the person's feet on their nose and they, they get, to get them trained to where they're comfortable with humans and doing all this stuff. You know how they do that? There's no whips involved. And by the way, I'm not against corporal punishment in its place done Done, done right and under control and for the right purposes. I believe the Bible teaches that. But it's not done with whips. It's not done with, with, with any of that. You know how they do it? That picture right there. Every time that whale does something, it must start with something small. If they blow a whistle and the whale comes near, 
They throw him a fish. And again, I don't even know. I don't know how they teach it. I want you to jump up. I don't know how they do it, but it's that right there. Every time they do something small well, they reward it. They praise it. They clap. They pet it. They, and before you know it, you've got a 10,000-pound animal that speaks whale jumping on command from a whistle or a wave in the middle of a, of a, of a, of a pool. Which leads me, they, they create those habits. It leads me to what I think the key word is for this age. The key word, I believe, for elementary school age is habits. Over and over and over again with that whale, they praise, they teach them what they want, they train. That's why they're called trainers. And they get, those whales obey better than a, a huge number of children in the world today. They have created habits. And I believe in the elementary age years, it is vital that you begin to develop. You are forming the foundation of that child's life. The habits that they will carry into their teen years and very often the character that's being built, they will carry very often into their adulthood. Now that doesn't mean if you create a bad habit in your teen years or your, your childhood years or even in adulthood you can't break it, but very often the character that's developed, the habits, the values that are taught from about 5 to 12 is the foundation upon which that life is going to be built. In those formative years, you're building that foundation and that character. What kind of habits do I think you should be focusing on if and when God should choose to bless you to have the opportunity to influence kids in this age group? Number one, spiritual habits. Spiritual habits. Family prayer. Bible reading. Faithfulness to church. Spiritual habits where it's not even a question. You know when the doors are open at Liberty Baptist Church, it's not even a question if our family's going to be here. Now you say, you get paid to do that. It, 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 it doesn't matter for our family. It's not, if, if I wasn't paid to do that, our, why? I want our children understanding God has the priority in our life. God isn't something one hour a week. That is the priority. Family prayer, we try it. I've already mentioned it to you, and we don't do a great job, but at least four days a week, we read the Bible together and pray together as a family, not at mealtimes, but together and what we would call family devotions. Through the years, we've done different types of family devotions, and sometimes it was more kiddie and more fun. Sometimes it's a little more of a devotional or a Bible study. It doesn't have to be, in my opinion, you don't have to preach some revival service in your devotions. I believe what you're doing is you're creating a habit of showing them we spend time every day learning from God's Word and talking to God. This morning, it was six minutes, maybe. Four and a half minutes, five minutes. It, uh, we didn't have a 40-minute revival service with an invitation that they poured out their hearts weeping in prayer. We just read 10 verses uh, with Annalise read this morning. She bugged me to read. It takes forever for her to read a, a verse in Proverbs, but uh, she's still learning, right, Mrs. Robinson? She's only in first grade. So she's like, Dad, everyone else reads two verses. Annalise is like, Dad, how come I only read one verse? I don't know, babe, because I don't have that long and I don't have that kind of patience to wait for you to read the whole verse. You don't, anything beyond like one and a half syllables, it takes forever. That's why, I love you. But, so I guess it was 11 verses this morning because we all read two and she read one. And then, I don't remember, I think TJ prayed. It wasn't a, and we, we just talked about one or two verses. It doesn't have, but I think you're creating habits, priorities. What matters in our family? That's what we're starting our day with. For the older ones, TJ, Titus, son, did you spend time in the Bible this morning? Did you read your Bible yet? I've asked that question this week. One of them had, 
One of them hadn't. This is the pastor's family. They're both teenagers. I've been working on this since childhood. We don't have a perfect family, but we're trying to instill habits, those things. And, and again, it goes beyond habits. Obviously, it's a relationship we want them to have with God, but we do want to model spiritual habits. Church, if you're not making spiritual things a priority, by the way, parents, let me just say this. If you're not making spiritual things a priority in your life and in your schedule, don't be shocked when your kids don't see the importance of it when they can choose for themselves. Again, for our family, church services are a non-negotiable in 18 years that we've been parents, uh, maybe there's been one or two uh, unique situations where there's been an extracurricular thing. I, I, I really can't think of one. It feels like there maybe was something with a tournament somewhere that we let. It was a once-in-a-lifetime kind of a thing. But our kids have missed baseball games. They've missed practices. They've missed, we've not even signed them up for certain leagues because they played on Sundays. Why? We want them to know we love sports, but there are priorities, and God's house for our family is a priority. Spiritual habits. Number two, in this age, I believe you should be working on training and teaching financial habits. Financial habits. Give, save, spend. That's straight from Dave Ramsey. That's his priorities. I think that's a biblical priority. Give, save, and spend. And, and we did better with some of this with the older ones. We need to do better with the two younger ones. When the older three were in that age range, four, six, and eight or so, we ordered Dave Ramsey at that time. I don't know if he still does. He had these chore charts, and you could order this kid's pack. And we had chores on the fridge. And if you read your Bible, you checked this. And if you took the trash out, you checked that. And sometimes we've made up our own. And if you did this, and, and if, you, um, if, you, if you helped mom do this, you did that. And we had like six or seven things. And once a week, we would sit down with their charts, and they could earn each of them up to like $7 a week if they did perfect that week. I don't believe in an allowance. And again, if you choose to do something different, you can. I don't think you should give your kids an allowance. What, what are you teaching them? For breathing, you get money. Uh, that doesn't happen to you or me. Like, we have to actually earn the money that we get, right? We don't just get paid for existing. And, and, and so I don't want to train that early on, that you get paid for existing. Uh, that, and by the way, there are some people in our society that are getting paid just for existing, but that's not a biblical model and principle of how it's supposed to be. I don't want to tr train socialism in my home. And so, I, and so it's not allowance, it's chores. You're earning that. You're learning those things. But every time in, in the Ramsey thing, they had these envelopes, give, save, and spend. If they earned $4, the first dollar always went in the give envelope. The next dollar always went in the save. If they only earned $2, they didn't have anything to spend that week. It was give first, save second. Then you can start saving up. Teach those young kids. They want something. Hey, mom, can I have? Dad, can I get? Sure. Here's how you can earn some money. Here's what we're saving towards. And if you get, let's say it's a $100 thing, when you get to 50, I'll match it. Incentivize some things. Teach them. You're, you're te well, I'm going to wait till they get a job. It's too late. You need to begin to build the understanding on budgeting, even investing. We, we taught our kids when they were younger. We pulled some money out that they had saved, and I, I taught them what it was investing. And they each opened an investment account and put about $1,000 into it around junior high age. And, and we haven't done a great job in recent years with that, but understanding some of the basics. And I probably need to do some more of that. Uh, there was a season where I was doing really well with that. In the last few years, I haven't really focused on, on any of that with them, but financial habits, earning their money. Don't give your children everything. Teach them to save for the things they want. The first thing should always be an offering to God. They should be saving. They should be spending, uh, spending on other people, giving to missions. Again, don't wait until they get a job or get in high school or get in college to try to start teaching these principles. Start teaching these biblical principles. By the way, these are biblical principles of stewardship. 
God, you're a steward. God blessed you with that. Son, what, are you, what part are you going to have? Daughter, what part are you going to have in worldwide missions? Our kids for years have given weekly to worldwide missions. Not, I'm not trying to brag on our kids. I'm trying to say we wanted to plant a heart that probably at the beginning they didn't do it because they wanted to. We maybe told them they needed to, but we want to develop that heart. And I think maybe they did do it. Kids actually have more generous hearts most of the time than, than parents. There's times where our kids will make $100, especially when they're little, you know, on a birthday. And they want to, I want to give all this to the missionaries. And I have probably been at times... I probably discouraged giving at times like that and try to make them think more reasonably. And, I, and then the Lord convicts me like, why are you squelching that generous heart? There's going to be enough in life. They're going to get selfish soon enough. Uh, encourage that generous heart. But, but, but financial habits. Number three, I'll finish it up. Schedule habits. In these ages, we talked about this a little bit last week with structure, but uh, sleep habits. And again, I told you this is not my normal Bible study. This is more seminar style Kids need, if you, if you look at studies, they say they need 10 to 12 hours of sleep. Create a schedule. Your kids shouldn't be going to bed one night at 8, the next night at 11. I think even with teenage kids, even create, and there are exceptions to that. There are times we have a late uh, sporting event and, and we have a, a family activity. But on school nights, and this might sound crazy, we have a, a, fre a freshman and a junior in our, and last year we had a sophomore, senior, and eighth grader in our family. Last night, every one of our kids was, was in bed by 8.30 and getting a full night's rest, and they're all up by 5.45 or 6, and it gives them time then to read their Bibles, and we're not rushing in the morning. We have time to sit every morning for 20, 25 minutes. That starts the night before. If they were up till 11 or 11.30, guess what would happen when we walked in to try to wake them up? I'd have to pour water on there. They all wake up on their own. I don't wake any of our kids up. They all get up on their own. They, they have their own schedule. But that started early. And by the way, that's not really me. That was my wife and her parents' training in her life that really got our family structured like that. I hear sometimes kids that I'm talking to that I coach or in our school talking about, what time did you go to bed? Oh, I went to bed midnight, one, two. There are, there are rare times that'll happen in our, in our home. That should not be the norm on a, on a health on just on a physical health, mental side, the kids are not going to be where they should be. And may I say this, parents, most of the time, there's probably not much good happening at 10 or 11 or 12 o'clock if your parents are awake. Hey, your kids are awake. They're probably watching something they shouldn't be, or they're just watching stuff. They're just on TV or video games, or they're communicating with somebody, or they're texting somebody. And we'll get on some of that next week, but, but create those habits. I, I, you can figure out what time works for your family. On Wednesday nights, our kids aren't in bed till 9.15 or 9.30 because of church. We don't get home till 8.30 or 8.40. But all the other nights, it's, it's earlier. And I don't think there's a lot of good stuff happening with our kids past 9.30 or 10 on a school night. Um, whatever's happening there probably should have happened earlier in the night and get them a good rest. They'll be better students the next day. And, uh, and, and it, at least what we have found in our lives, it'll be better. Schedule habits, not only sleep habits, but what I would call technology or entertainment habits. Techno this is the scourge of our generation. Addiction to technology and entertainment. And it's not just kids, it's us. I am at times addicted to my cell phone, addicted to my email addicted to social media, and it's not healthy. It, it, it strains relationships. And our kids, this is not a, we, it, for children in their early years, you're creating addictions, you're creating appetites. By the way, the more they're on electronic stuff, scientifically, you're rewiring their brains in certain ways, their thought processes. I would just encourage you parents, you're the parent, get a limit on technology and entertainment. 
how much TV they're watching, how much Netflix, how much tablet, how much video games, how much Switch, how much so cell phone, what, how much laptop, how much iPad. Our kids go from our home on the couch watching TV, pick up their tablet, get in the car on their tablet, go into the restaurant on their tablet, get back in the car on their tablet, back home to watch their TV, into their bed with their cell phone, and never interacted with anybody in their family. Find a group of teenagers at the happiest place on earth when it's open in Disneyland. They're in a place that people travel all over the world to go to. And what are you going to find if you got six teenagers? They're looking at, and by the way, sometimes us adults too. They're looking at, they're looking at other experiences on here or talking to people they're not with or communicating with people they're not with on here while they're surrounded in this place that they spent billions to entertain us with and it's not enough. We've created appetites that are not healthy. And, 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 and we, we should be working on that in those early, and may I, again, I told you some of this is my opinion, and it comes from experience of meetings I've had. There's not been a week go by in the last three months that Ryan or I have not had a meeting with a teenager or a family that is talking to us about, and Pastor Sammy, you're in some of these meetings, destruction in these children's lives because of devices and entertainment. Our kids, we'll talk about it next week. Our oldest didn't get a cell phone until 17. Our second oldest didn't get one until he had a job, or at least a smartphone. He had a flip phone, a smartphone till the summer of 16. Just this summer, he got actually just two months ago, he got one. Can I tell you? And our kids don't take them in their rooms. They don't take them. Uh, Ashton didn't take them to school. Titus does sometimes, depending on what he has going on. Um, they're in our rooms every night before they go to bed. And we try to put as many guidelines as we can. And can I tell you, I'm just going to be honest with you, we've had to deal with negative things with both of them and their cell phones. With as many guidelines as we have. And parents, if, you're, if, you have, if your kid has a smartphone and you haven't dealt with something negative, you either have the greatest kid in the world or your head's in the sand. And you can say, not my kid. I'm telling you, your kid. My kid. And, and we're, we're allowing these things unchecked. I don't want to get too far ahead from next week, but, but, the, but, but these habits, technology habits, it's not healthy. They don't need to have a tablet they can use whenever they feel like it. Again, I'm just telling you what we've tried to do in our family is not the model, but we've tried to set some guidelines for us. Um, our kids, we called it Wii Time because it was back when the only video game system we had was a Nintendo Wii. Wii Time turned into, now we have a Wii we have a P that's not hooked up. We have a PS4. They have tablets. I don't know if we still do it. Is it still Wednesdays or not really anymore? For, for many years, it was, what, what day is it? Wednesdays. When they come home from school on Wednesday, they get an hour of Wii Time. That's the only hour of video games in our home for the whole week. Guess what? Once that structure's set up, our kids don't even ask. Well, what, my kid's always going to be on my case. Who's the parent? That seven, eight, nine-year-old, get them reading a book. Go outside and play. Jump at the trampoline. Take them to the park. Let them be kids. They don't need, and again, you can decide. I'm not going to answer to God for your family. I'm telling you my opinions here. They don't need hours of video games every day. I don't know that, I don't see how that's healthy in their development. You're creating, un, you're allowing unhealthy habits that they're going to carry with them into high school. Our kids probably, on all of the tablets we have in our home, probably average each of them two hours a week or so on, on any of those devices combined. Um, and we have some shows that we like to watch, and that doesn't mean our TV's never on in our house, but we try to guard that. Lastly, I've got three minutes. Let me finish the last set of habits. I feel like I was meddling there a little bit, but I'm just trying. The technology thing I'm passionate about because I have kids and parents in my office crying all of the time because of ways they've scarred their lives. Number four, interpersonal habits. Interpersonal habits. What do I mean by this? Elementary school age, you're teaching them how to, how to deal with things interpersonally. If you're taking notes underneath that conflict resolution, what's the Bible principle with conflict resolution? In honor, 
preferring one another. As much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Those are the biblical principles. What are you teaching? By the way, your kids are going to have conflict. Every time your child has conflict at the school, you don't need to get on the phone or send an email to the teacher. Help your child learn how to deal with conflict yourself. I mean, I'm sorry, themselves. They need to learn how to deal. Well, next time, walk away from that. Next time, be I'm not saying there's never a time to call the school or there's never a time to talk to a teacher if there's some major situation. That, but but I, again, just from our experience, we've had, uh, we've had kids in school, in Christian school, and, and our kids aren't perfect, and they've had conflicts. They've created some of the conflicts. They've been on the bully at times, and they've been on the other side of it where, where they've been the one gossiping about somebody else, and they've been on the other side of that. Our kids have been all of those places. We've had kids at Newport for five years probably 23 school years cumulatively if you count it with with five kids in five years uh, something like 22 or 23 school years cumulatively meaning they've had 25 plus different teachers and and I don't I don't believe in 25 years I'm 25 of those cumulative school years I don't think there's been a single time I've talked I'm looking we have teachers that have taught all of our kids maybe there's been one I can't remember one that I've emailed the teacher and said you need to correct so-and-so they're picking on my kid and by the way, I'm not, my kid has picked on kids before, but it's been on both sides. Why? We want to train our kids to deal with those things. Interpersonally, our kids have come home at times crying because of what somebody did to them. And I'm sure some of your children maybe have gone home crying because of what our kids did to them. I'm not under any impression that our kids are perfect angels. What I'm saying is we're trying, I'm not going to be the one knocking on the principal's door. And, and you say, well, you're the pastor. My kids' peers don't care that they're the pastor's kids. They're just the kids in their class. The, the kids in Miss Robinson's class don't treat, treat Trey differently. Oh, he's the pastor's kid. Be nice to him. He's just Trey. And if, if he's, at times he has conflict and at times he doesn't. And he's come home and told me about conflict. Sammy, Sammy's son Sammy is one of Trey's best friends. I don't know if Sammy's ever come home and told you. Sam, Trey's come home and told me before. Me and Sammy got a fight in the playground. Guess how many times have I ever called you, Sammy, to tell you, tell Trey to, tell Sammy to leave my son alone? How many times? Never. I tell him, punch him in the face next time, son. <laughs> But he's told me, like, yeah, now Sammy got mad at football and this and that and this and that. Son, deal with it. Get over it. Man up. But anyways, you might not parent like I do, but I get to talk about it. So, But, but again, they, they need to learn. Our children need to learn to take correction from a teacher and how to deal with conflict from a peer under interpersonal habits, conflict resolution. Second, kindness. You're teaching habits of kindness. Be ye kind one to another. Ephesians 4.32, we drill that into our kids' heads. Be kind one to another. Share. Be kind. Think of others. Annalise got candy on Saturday night around our neighborhood, and I got home from Leonard, the hospital with Leonard, and she had taken Ziploc baggies and put some of her candy in different bags, and one of it she wrote on there, Mrs. Robinson and her friends. Well, she was already in bed. The next morning, I tried to make a big deal about that. Honey, I'm so glad you had such a heart to give and so kind. By the way, you say, man, it sounds like your kid's so great. Like an hour later, her and Trey were fighting over silly putty, and they weren't sharing. Like it, it goes, it, sometimes you feel like the greatest parent in the world, and sometimes you're like, do, do they speak English? What is happening here? But when you find it and try to treat that with, with kindness under interpersonal habits, temper tantrums, teaching your kids, swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Don't give in to their demands. If they pout or whine or beg at the store, they don't get it. Kids are master manipulators. Once they learn how to manipulate you, they will do it over and over and over again. You need to teach them manipulation will not be rewarded. You're teaching these habits. Guess what? Manipulating kids grow into manipulating teenagers who grow into manipulating adults. 
The time to build those habits is in the early years. Lastly, anger outbursts. Uh, Not lastly, almost lastly. The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. By the way, don't allow it. If your child loses his temper, deal with it swiftly. But be careful though, because Proverbs says, he that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. I have had times where one of my kids dealt with something in anger or got, and I dealt with their anger in my anger. So I'm teaching them, don't be angry by being angry. That's, that makes a lot of sense, right, Dad? Man, that's, that's really smart. Son, I don't ever want to see you get angry again. Yes, sir, I'll just be just like you, Dad. That's great. Like, and, but, but I've had times where my kids did something. I came and I dealt with it. I sent one to their room. I gave a spanking to another one. You're never doing that. You're never doing this. Whatever it might be, I dealt with it. I come out and my wife's like, that was really great. You got the whole story wrong. You have no idea. You, you punished the one that didn't do anything wrong. Now that's only happened hopefully a few times. The Bible says, but he that answereth the matter before he heareth it, it's shame and folly to him. Be careful that you don't respond. Again, the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. You don't respond to their anger in anger. Then lastly, last habit of interpersonal, interpersonal relationships, interpersonal habits is service. Teach them the joy of service and sharing early on. Serve at the church together and talk about how fun it is to get to help clean up or serve at a rescue mission or, or help on the bus route or pass out Bibles, work in the church, serve food at a, at a, at a church fellowship, whatever it might be. Take some, something to your neighbors, put a care package together for homeless people, teach them the joy of serving. Sarah posted some of those pictures of the teens taking something to Evan today. And I, I commented on there, I said, to me, the coolest thing was the pure joy on these teenagers' faces as they gave Evan something. You know what those kids learned? It is more blessed to give than to receive. They learned the joy of service. They should be learning that early on. Most kids, what's their, their default? It's the same as yours, selfishness. All of our default, why does the Bible say love thy neighbor as thyself? Because our default is selfishness. We need to reward and train. There's joy in living for others. Pra- praise that. So how are your family habits? How are your spiritual habits? Time with God outside of church and in church. How are you teaching and training financial habits, schedule habits, sleep and technology, entertainment, and interpersonal habits, that conflict resolution and kindness and anger outbursts and service? Have you allowed some bad habits to develop in your life or in your home? I have. Start now and creating new ones. Well, it's too late for my kids. It's too late for this. It's too late for that. Best time to plant a tree? 20 years ago. Second best time? Today. None of us are perfect. We're all learning along the journey. But wherever you are, whatever age or stage you are, whatever you find yourself, work in training those things in their lives. You are building the foundation for their lives. The time, that, that young time of those moldable hearts is so short. So ask yourself tonight, where do you need to put a little extra attention? I gave you three books last week. I'll give you one tonight that I would encourage you, if you have, especially if you have elementary age kids. It's a book by a friend of mine, pastor friend of mine named Kerry Schmidt. He'll be preaching here next, next year, I believe. Um, but it's called Passionate Parenting. It's a book for parenting teenagers, which if you have teens, you can buy it now. Uh, I read it when, when my oldest was a teenager. But if you have elementary age kids, I believe it'll help you develop philosophy and stuff and understanding. He was a youth pastor for thousands of kids over the course of about two decades. And, uh, and, and some really great stuff on parenting teens. But while your children are in that age, I'd encourage you to be preparing yourself uh, mentally, spiritually for that next step. And let me just say this again. I don't know everybody's story here. I don't know where you find yourselves. Whatever I'm saying tonight, 
Don't let the devil use it to condemn you for how you've messed up. We have all messed up. All of our kids' foolishness is abound in the heart of, the, of a child. All of our kids have sin natures. All of our kids at times, if you've had a child, somewhere along the way, they've broken your heart. Somewhere along the way, they've brought tears. They've brought fear. My wife and I walked through this recently with one of our kids just in the last month where it was tears, it was fear, what's going on in their heart, what's happening there. And I'm just being transparent during this thing. Don't beat yourself up. You might have adult children that have chosen a different path. They, had a, they, had, they have a free will. They have a sin nature. You can't control those decisions. And if that's where you find yourself, continue to pray and set the right example and be a godly, faithful Christian now. But I don't want God to use any, not God wouldn't do this. I don't want Satan to use or your flesh to use anything that I'm talking about through this to say, you know, to, to use to condemn you. What kind of a parent were you? You were terrible. None of us are perfect parents. Everybody's doing the best with what they have. Steve, I think you said on the way out, I said something, we were talking about infants and toddlers. I said, you need to, I think I said, like, you need to have another infant so you can do these things. He's like, I feel like I need to start all over. I messed up with Max and Cole. I said, I feel the same way. By the time you figure out what you're doing, they're out of that stage and you forgot it. You don't know what you're doing anymore. And they have great kids. But don't, don't, let, don't let yourself be condemned. We're all doing our best. You don't have to be a perfect parent. God is that heavenly father, but do your best for your children. And the key word to me in that elementary age is habits. Building these habits in their lives, asking God to help you build those things. So I hope something I said tonight was a help. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.